0: You're listening to episode six of the Happy Space Podcast. Today, with Professor of Neuroscience for Architecture, Andrea de Paiva, we'll be looking at how architecture impacts human behavior. Welcome to the Happy Space Podcast, a place where highly sensitive people thrive. Not only will we learn how to better navigate life with our superpowers, we'll find ways to better manage the challenges too. We'll hear from product and service innovators, space designers, and leaders who believe in creating an inclusive, neurologically safe world. If you're highly sensitive or want to better understand and support someone who is, then you are in the right place. I'm your host. Claire Kumar, and I'm so very happy you're here. I was so thrilled recently when I stumbled across Andrea De Paiva and the whole concept of neuroarchitecture when I was perusing the Institute for Challenging Disorganization's most recent conference. Now, they've been an organization I was part of for many years with rich, rich learning from forward thinking scientists all around organization, of course, and the challenges, neurodiversity and lots, lots more. And so I was not surprised to find uh, such an interesting speaker, but as a highly sensitive person. We often experience the challenges of a world that not only dismisses, but it downright compromises our sensitivity. It seemed to me that if we pay more attention to how human beings, human animals respond to our spaces, then we can get much closer to this elusive hashtag tender world that I am so hoping for. So I was thrilled when Andrea agreed to join us. Let me tell you a little bit more about her. She has both a master of the arts in architecture from Middlesex University in London and architecture from the University of Sao Paulo. She is certified in design thinking from MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And right now she's a professor of neuroscience for architecture at two Brazilian universities. She's got a lot on her plate. Not only that, she is the founder of NeuroAU. It's an online space which is aimed at discussing and sharing knowledge about the links between cognitive science and architecture and urbanism. So check out at neuroau on Instagram. If the sound of this makes you as curious as it did me at the time we're recording this, there were at least 28,000 followers there. So she's on fire with really forward thinking insights as, as to how we can have our environments affect humans in much more profound way. I want to invite you to listen in for some elements here to pay attention to when creating a more comfortable space and a surprising example of how culture can get in the way of design. Today's episode of the Happy Space podcast is sponsored by ClaireKumar.com. Not only am I excited to spearhead the Happy Space movement, I love coaching busy professionals to achieve greater productivity and well-being. The two go hand in hand. I also adore taking the stage. If you're looking for an interactive, engaging event to inspire and invite action, whether it be on successful work-life integration, sustainable performance, organization and productivity, or expanding inclusivity, please visit ClaireKumar.com and find out more. Hi, Andrea. I'm so thrilled to be speaking with you, and I wondered if we could start by exploring what is this thing called neuroarchitecture? What does it mean and how widely is it understood? Hi,
1: Claire. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here. I'm very excited and talking a little bit about what is neuroarchitecture. As the name says, it is the combination of at least two disciplines so, neuroscience with architecture. But we can see it goes even beyond neuroscience so we won't talk just about the brain when we're discussing your architecture we talk about psychology cognitive science and the uh, the body as a whole so not just the brain and when we say architecture we mean all kinds of spaces so not just buildings but like interior exterior uh cities and so on So this is architecture and the main purpose of the area, I would say, is to help us understand how we can be affected by the environment. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, we are able to design better spaces. And when I say understand how we are affected, I mean uh, use scientific data to inform architects and designers and to help them design uh, knowing Uh, the uh, the impacts they will have on people
0: right so it's science-based design then what's been happening in design up to this point then if it hasn't been science-based what's been driving has it been art has it been just I you know our thinking of what we would do
1: great so many things so I'm not saying that all those things should be forgotten not at all we -hmm. should include more things but before we used to think uh, mainly about function aesthetics Mm -hmm. Uh, budget, uh, what the client says he wants or she wants. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now we need to pay attention to all that and uh, also uh, construction laws um, of each city and so on. Mm -hmm. But together with this, we need to consider the human aspect of design and how design can affect people beyond their conscious awareness.
0: Uh Aha. So this gets into effects that we don't even know are happening to us.
1: Exactly. Sometimes yeah. we think we understand how the environment can affect us, but uh, without uh, the studies of neuroscience, we are just accessing what we can uh, be consciously aware of. So we're not accessing everything that is going on in our bodies and brain. So we are, we are not 100% aware of everything that is happening. So uh, there is one interesting study that shows how it can go much uh, uh, how it can go beyond our conscious awareness. Uh, there is a famous st- series of studies about hospital design, for instance, and how uh, patients in a room with a view with a window with a view to nature. Uh, they improve faster, they recover faster, and they feel less pain. So these are two things that we are not able to control consciously: feeling of pain or perception of pain, and recovery. But the environment was able to affect that, even though people were not aware of it.
0: And this is a view, just a view out to nature. Is that is that what, exactly what caused the difference? Wow that's yes. a profound impact to just what's outside the what's outside the window what's so that the natural elements that somebody's taking in have an effect they don't even necessarily recognize. Yes yeah, yeah. And
1: nowadays this is being applied in different scales, especially in hospital design but in, uh, in other designs as well like workplace, uh homes and so on uh bringing nature biophilic design this is how it is called uh bringing nature inside not only uh use the view the, the view that you have from a window but sometimes you don't have a nice view or a natural view i have you can see here just buildings surrounding me but still i can see the sky which is already something and i have some nature inside so i we can do that of course it goes much it is beyond Uh, It goes beyond just bringing a plant uh, Mm -hmm. to your home. You can apply biophilic design in much more complex uh, ways.
0: Okay, so just for our listeners, Andrea right now is sitting on a balcony in Sao Paulo. And behind her, I can see a a small palm tree that's on the balcony. And I I can see other buildings behind. And then I'm not sure what's, what's directly behind you, but I pretty much see buildings kind of all around.
1: Oh, yes. Yes. Buildings all around. I forgot this was a podcast and I was just saying as everyone was able to see the window. Yeah,
0: no, that's OK. That's OK. Because if if our listeners are listening on YouTube, they can actually see where you are and now and get this whole visual picture as well. So whether you're listening or watching, we'll we'll make sure you understand what, what, what's going on. Okay. But I saw a presentation on biophilia, I think I'm guessing it's about five or six years ago now and my jaw hit the floor with the profound effects that can have, and so things like living walls in spaces where we've got lots of plant life so it's better for the air in the day it's cleaning the air and it's also bringing this sense of life i mean the wall murals that we used to see these wall murals we used to have vistas that we would bring inside in the 1970s are they coming back
1: yes yes we need more nature and as you mentioned there are so many scientific evidence about how we are affected by it. So mm-hmm. uh, the studies I mentioned were just about looking to natural images, right. uh, like when you see the, the, the your window and what is like beyond the window. Mm-hmm. But there are studies, as you mentioned, about plants and how they can help to clean the air. Mm-hmm. And not only that, some uh, volatile compounds uh, emitted by plants. They can affect uh, not only our immune system but also our levels of stress and even our feelings of well-being so wow. compounds uh, uh, emitted by plants by soil uh, so it's uh, something benefits for all the senses so when we hear sounds of nature there are studies pointing that this can can be positive not always depending on the bird that is singing we can get annoyed of course but Depending on the sound of nature, it can help us relax and control chronic stress levels or smelling nature or touching wood. There are studies with people blindfolded touching wood. This would also affect their stress levels in a positive way. They would relax more just by feeling wood with their hands instead of feeling like tiles or marble or Or metal,
0: metal. right? Or even plastic, right? Yes. Yeah. It's like, yeah, there's some organic quality to To what i i sense that oh my gosh this is so fascinating and Um, just one sorry yeah no go ahead when
1: we combine all this because here i'm saying oh smelling touching seeing but when we are talking about design we can combine all this so it is not only about smelling or Mm seeing or touching but we can use all three or are all of them together
0: Yeah. yeah and then it's a real powerful experience and and for our highly sensitive audience this is profound. So my next question for you is curious about your experience with the trait of high sensitivity. And then leading from that is, you know, knowing that we are, our, our nervous systems are on high alert for all of this incoming stimulation, does the urban space or the environment or the lived in space, does it all affect us more profoundly?
1: Yes, great question and about my my experience with high sensitivity. Mm. I've been teaching a lot about neuroscience for architecture, and this is one of the topics that I discuss when I'm talking about perception. Uh, I talk um, about the different levels of sensitivity that we can all have. So sometimes we are designing, I say we because I am a designer, an architect, So sometimes we are designing, thinking about our own experience. Of course, this is the main source of knowledge we have, but my level of sensibility will not be the same of the users of spaces, or the client's level of sensibility will not be the same of the users of spaces, because sometimes the client is one person, the user, the final user is another person. So we need to consider Uh, the highest levels of sensitivity when we are designing. This is a way to make spaces more accessible to everyone. People who are more sensitive, people who are less sensitive, everyone will benefit from it.
0: I love that you said that because I've been saying that for years when I used to go into people's homes organizing and we'd have a family and you'd clearly have someone that was more attuned to creating order. And someone else who is quite comfortable disrespecting it completely, <laughs> and I said, you know, for any shared space, you must cater to the most sensitive person there. You must because it's an act of love and kindness, and 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 catering to their well being. Create your own room, go to town in there, make your comfort mess, whatever it is. But in shared spaces. And especially so as I think of urban design, as I think of workspaces, if I think of um, institutions and classrooms, anything that's shared has to cater to the sensitive person.
1: Yes. And and as I said, we are all benefiting. You don't need to be sensitive or more sensitive to have benefits from this. And uh, you mentioned uh, like people that are more sensitive should be more aware of the environment they choose to be. But even if we are not aware of uh, how we are affected by the environment, and even if we are not that uh, sensitive to the environment, we still are affected by it. So, for instance, let me bring another example just to illustrate. Um, There are several studies in different countries showing the, the impacts of living nearby airports. So even people that say, oh, I've been living here for more than, I don't know, 10 years and I'm used, I don't even listen to the planes anymore. Even those people, they have higher levels of stress, higher um, heart rate, blood pressure and higher risk of uh, heart attack or other diseases. So even though they are not consciously aware, they habituated, they got used to it that doesn't mean that they are not being affected by the environment. So sometimes I'm not even paying attention to the sound or to the smell, but I am going to be affected by it.
0: That's so powerful because I've long had a question, should highly sensitive people really work to just tolerate more, build up, you know, this this tolerance and, and desensitize, if you will. But what this is leading me to think is that perhaps, no, we're just going to habituate, as you say, and then we'll have all of this hidden toxicity that we're absorbing in our body that could have a long-term really, really significant effect.
1: Yes, I think uh, both ways could work. We can learn uh, to, I don't know, to control a little bit, not everything of of our perception. So we can learn to habituate to something, just to be a little bit less annoyed when we cannot avoid it. It is possible to learn this, to train ourselves, but we should not accept everything. We should pay attention to our bodies and what, it is, what our body is telling us.
0: I love it because I look at the highly sensitive people as the people that are really noticing. We've, we're the best customer feedback engine that uh-huh. anyone will ever have. And so if we can find our voice, then we can really enrich a lot of experiences, the environment, the user interface, all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. yeah
1: for sure yes
0: yeah amazing Uh, one of the things I've been thinking about as I examined the return to work and this invitation for people to go back and have long days where they're commuting and spending all day in an office and then commuting home I, I have long thought that we have not treated humans as animals We've we've taken them from the factory environment, thinking they're an, another kind of machine and said, now you're going to use your brain like it's a machine and we're going to put you in an office and rest and the and providing the ability to rest has been scorned, shunned, shamed, all kinds of things in the workspace. I'm wondering what you might be seeing, if anything, in terms of understanding our human animal requirements to rest during the day, as as it's funny, because as we're talking. My cat is sleeping right here on my desk, which which tells me that mammals may not need, to, you know, we might need to sleep more than just one chunk, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: I love what you said, that we are also animals. Sometimes we forget about this. We think we are like so superior that we are not affected when we are tired or hungry or stressed or sad or afraid or whatever, and we are animals and we need to pay attention to that. And I think neuroscience applied to not only architecture, but uh, to different areas uh, of our lives can help us get back to this knowledge that we are humans and that we are being affected by everything. And when you mentioned about the importance of rest, uh, a very sad thing that happened to me when I used to work in the main street here in Sao Paulo, Brazil, Uh, It is called Avenida Paulista. It's the main, the most famous street when you're looking for any information about São Paulo, you will find information about this street. I used to work there. uh, And one day I was feeling very tired after lunch and I felt, hmm, there is a famous park here. Let me go there and just lay down in the bench and rest a little bit. It's called Trianon Park. Uh, And I went there and I laid down on the bench and the security guy came to me and said, you're not allowed to lay down. You can sit, but you cannot lay down on the bench in a park. I'm not saying at work. I'm saying in the park.
0: In the city of Sao Paulo, in this famous street. And, there, and you're not, it's prohibited to rest. Yes. and To lie I down. It felt so yeah. terrible
1: because my body needed that. And... I thought I thought where can I find this I, could, I I maybe the only way to find it was to I don't know find a bathroom and lay down on the floor which I wouldn't do because it would be a terrible experience but there would be no other place for privacy or just to the, to lay down like no other unless I of course I get back home but then it was also not an option during like the work day that I before the pandemic that I was working there like uh, 8 9 oh hours
0: and um- well, that's it. We've, we expect this long stretch at work and we expect to put a commute, which you might be standing on public transit for. How much stamina are we expecting people to have? And that's able bodied people, never mind having a disability, being pregnant, having, you know, like all kinds of other challenges that people face. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I firmly believe that restrooms should be rest yeah like we need to have them scattered through that, that there are places that we can rest I mean I was uh it's somewhere in Toronto too they have benches that you can you can rest on I don't think anybody would um, find you in this perhaps not find you but even stop you from it unless perhaps they were worried about a homeless mm-hmm. issue and somebody staying too long I think that's where there may be some challenge here but the benches that have been designed not with arms at both sides of the benches at both ends but with an oh. armrest in the middle as if to just say ha you're not going to lie down here <laughs> like what are you thinking we're going to we're going to foil your plans and even our airports that's the other place where oh my gosh we're so upended in terms of uh time zones and our circadian rhythm is like completely off i remember being in i think it was in frankfurt most recently and finding, they had areas where you could actually have pretty good reclining chairs and it was an area to promote rest. Like, we need those everywhere. Every office needs them. Every city needs them. They, you know, I, I, yeah. Do you sense any greater awareness about this or am I still dreaming? Uh, I think
1: uh, people are paying more attention to this after the pandemic, so i think because uh we with the pandemic we realized more uh the importance of the environment staying like locked at home and having to do everything for, from home made people uh notice how they were being affected by the environment so i think this is changing and also because we have been having a lot of discussions about sedentary lifestyles and here we are talking about how important it is to rest and but just uh, as we said, lay down, when we are laying down, we are changing our body posture. And if I am in my office, in my desk all day, I'm not changing my body posture. I'm not standing, I'm not laying down, I'm not stretching. And this is very uh, problematic, uh, both on the short term, but especially on the long term. So I think uh, if we consider spaces to rest, but not only that, a varied or a diverse Furniture for our spaces, home spaces, workspaces, we can offer people opportunities to change their body posture.
0: So, the chaise lounge should be everywhere. Uh-huh. We should have the opportunity to recline. I mean, now you're going to get me thinking of airplane oh. seats. And I've actually looked for a scientific paper to show me what the minimum level of incline is to induce mm-hmm. sleep. Because I, I cannot find it, but I'm sure it's not, you know, five degrees yes. off. <laughs> no one is. And I remember I had a, a whiplash injury um, in a car accident, and I could not stay upright um, for about, I don't know, easily six months yeah. afterwards. I would have periods in the day where all of a sudden it was too, too much to hold my head up. And so when the, the iPad came out and when I, I got the iPad 2 in 2010, I was able to recline and read. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I could still do something work-wise because the technology and my posture could change. So I love, I love that point. Well, so I'll be optimistic and shouting out, you know, we we have to have no sleep shame. Uh (laughs) One of the hashtags I made up, no sleep shame, because we need to promote, you know, we need to promote people making wise choices for stamina, not grit, suck it up, hustle, push through energy. So I'll be interested to follow, follow that <laughs> one. Um, you talk about designing spaces to be more comfortable for highly sensitive people. If we're, we're talking about that, you say there's no recipe, but we do have to consider different elements. And I wonder if you could expand on that so we can understand what, what do we need to think about? Okay. Uh, Well,
1: there is a lot
0: to say, but I will make a selection of at least two main points
1: here that I think it's worth mentioning. So the first one, just uh, as we were discussing about resting and performance and culture in the last uh, uh, question that you made, I think um, we need to think about the importance of a dynamic balance. So what do I mean by that? We need to offer more opportunities. Therefore, more diversity so that people can choose from. So when I say we need balance, we need to have time to work. And we also need to have time to rest. We need to this time. We need both of them. If I lay down all day in the bench of the park, it will be terrible. The same way it will be terrible if I'm not able to lay down at any point of my day. Uh, and if we think about the environment, the physical environment can offer us Uh, several different opportunities. So we can uh, escape from something and find something different. We have a better sense of agency, sense of control, which is also wonderful uh, to help control stress levels. So this is one thing, we need a dynamic balance.
0: Well, you know, yeah, this is, makes me think of, so I left the corporate world because I didn't have the energy to manage the commute downtown, be in the office, Managed my kids back and forth to daycare the whole thing to do that five days a week was just way too much but if there had been places to rest if this was culturally encouraged not just from a design okay there's a nap room over there but everybody's too embarrassed Mm -hmm. to use it they won't go and use it we sort of need this an invitation culturally and from a physical standpoint to say come and come and take advantage of this maybe i would have been okay
1: yes definitely it's not only about changing spaces, it is also about changing the culture of people who will use this space. So sometimes we create a wonderful mm-hmm. design solution to a company, but it has nothing to do with the culture. People will feel judged if they use the resting place or I don't know, the, uh, the break room or whatever it is that we create. And that, that will also not be positive. So we need always to align design with culture uh, and sometimes through design try to help changing uh, cultures or accelerating those changes
0: yeah i was going to say if we align it with culture there will be no restrooms uh-huh. right now but uh-huh. but if we can use it as an invitation it's interesting so in design and architecture work do those firms sometimes get into the culture conversation because i don't think of it as as having that, The conversation's there, but wow, that's powerful to make sure it is.
1: I've seen this happening in some of my consultancies. So a client, uh, like a a company, hires the architecture office uh, and to work both the environment and also change management policies and so on. So they try. It's not something that happens always. It should happen more often. Uh, But anyway, it is happening. Sometimes it happens and it's very powerful because then we can, uh, both can help each other. So it's not only the culture that will help people to use the space in a better way, but changing the space can also help people get used to a new culture of a company. So like it's a win-win from both sides.
0: Yeah, powerful. So you said the first one was dynamic ba- balance. So we were talking yes. about that diversity and, and having some of this and some of that. So you can choose between the two. Yes. What else? So, what else would you dynamic say? Dynamic balance to be is one.
1: And the second point that I wanted to make is about contrast. We need uh, to be very careful about uh, contrast. when we cre- We can create contrast in an environment, but... Uh, this is something that influences our perception and that can uh, be a very important thing for highly sensitive people. When we have contrast, uh, it makes us more sensitive to something. So if we are in the dark in the middle of the night and we turn on the light, our eyes, you don't need to be very sensitive. Your eyes will like feel uh, weird and you'll feel a little bit of you're not going to be uncomfortable you will be uncomfortable you're not going to be comfortable because of that because of the contrast Uh, and this happens uh, through all our senses so if we're in a very silent uh, silent place and we go to a noisy one uh, there is contrast and this will like um, make us more sensitive to the noise or if we're in a cold place and we enter a hot one or Mm. the opposite as well we will be more sensitive to the temperature. So one idea to deal with that is to think about the importance of transition spaces and maybe create better ones. Maybe nowadays we, we, are, we could improve the ones we are creating. So sometimes we don't pay attention to corridors or elevators or stairs. We think like, oh, they're here just to connect important spaces, but they are not important than themselves. Their but then they are, depending on how you're uh, thinking about the environment and if you're considering that the environment will affect people. So we can use transition spaces to make contrast uh, decrease. So it can help us to get used to what we are, to where we are going to. So if I'm going to a noisy place, this corridor can, be, can help me to uh, get used to it.
0: Yeah. It made me think actually I was looking at some of the videos we're working on and editing from one piece of content to another, we're gonna add transition music so that there's a so it's not it's not jarring. And and I think we see this in film too. We we now we help the brain feel more comfortable on the journey. So this is an extension of that in our physical space that we need to think of it. I mean, what came to mind was HSPC, the bank's advertising. In the airport from the transition from your the lounge to the plane, HSBC has done a fair amount of advertising. And and I think that's the only thought that's gone into that, to that transition space. Yes. It's a marketing opportunity. So we've thought about it. Other than that, I'm not sure much thought's been given to stairs and corridors in general. it's they've generally been afterthoughts in most in most cases.
1: Yes, which is yeah. terrible because they are very important. In many ways, in many ways, they can help us and help our experience of the space.
0: Yeah, I have a a very personal question. I'm really um, excited to hear your perspective on. I have a real challenge with lighting right now because lighting is now not expensive. Our building code here in Ontario, uh, for example, Ontario, Canada, has said that we have minimum light requirements safety low wattage minimum requirements so people don't trip and fall essentially now that we've got led lighting so inexpensive we are i think we have an overabundance of intensity of light and cold color temperatures i've learned those cold color temperatures can trigger a migraine in me Mm -hmm. and they can trigger um in considerable discomfort What's happening in the design space and what's happening to your knowledge around building codes? Because I feel like there's a big disconnect between the damage that's happening in terms of pollution and where our legislation is and where our guidance is around what we should be doing.
1: We definitely should be discussing more about this. There, When you say light pollution, we can think about the pollution of like LED lights uh, indoors, but we can also think about light pollution in our cities that is affecting our circadian rhythm for people who are not aware with this weird combination of words uh, circadian rhythm is our biological clock that help us to synchronize internal activity of our bodies with the environment so when it's light we wake up when it's dark we feel sleepy and we go to bed and uh, light of our cities during the night are disrupting our uh, biological clock, not only our biological, but birds and other animals that live nearby cities. And what is, uh, and also indoors, as you said, we it, this is so problematic because not only it's terrible for our eyes, uh, depending on the quality of light, this can affect our eyes health, but also uh, it can affect Performance, So you will not ha- reach the peak of energy during like midday or during noon because uh, you're not exposed to natural light, which ha- is the one that has the best uh, quality to make us feel more energy. But more than that, this is also something important when we are considering designing for highly sensitive people and everyone else, uh, we need to have a systemic understanding. Uh, it's like a domino effect of the design solutions that we choose. So, for instance, there are studies showing that the light in the office, in the place that we are during the day at the office, uh, can affect our sleep quality at night. So, if we have poor quality light during the day, it's not only migraine that we are going to feel and headaches and uh, uh, get a, have a lower performance during the day. But our night of sleep might be affected But by the place where we were throughout the day. And of course, during the night as well, night uh, light uh, entering my window will affect my sleep or lighting from my TV or from any other electronic devices will disrupt my sleep. But this is something to consider. And just one last point about this. I got excited here. Sorry, I'm talking a lot. (laughs) But there is something. Sometimes people will say, oh, this is something I'm not really sensitive to. I can sleep with my TV on. I don't mind that. But even when we are able to sleep, we do not reach the deepest levels of sleep. So the quality of uh, our sleep will not be so good. So we will feel like, oh, I slept, I'm fine, I'm not sensitive to this. But on the long term, we will be affected by it because sleep is very important to our health.
0: So I get this. I I talk about hashtag right light, getting the right light, the right natural light in the morning and diminishing blue light as we move to the afternoon and evening. Um, but what's in a design communities? Is it is it being infused? I know we're seeing a lot of evolution in circadian lighting, but but I I just I just think there's just so much ignorance out there, and because more is better in our culture, mm-hmm. we go for the six thousand kelvins, which is like bright daylight, and we put we put four thousand kelvins in my lobby. It's like task lighting. For a lobby that you come home at 10 o'clock at night, you don't want to be in 4,000 kelvins. It's very cold white light for, for listeners. And uh, yeah, so I don't know. I'm hoping that, I don't know. I, I'm hoping this podcast <laughs> will help in terms of getting some word out for urban planners and designers and building code thinkers. We need to be protected from this. Yes. And it needs to be put into our design parameters so that it's not, it can't happen by accident. Exactly.
1: <laughs> so, yes, we need to pay more yeah. attention to this, for sure.
0: Yeah. Oh, this, this topic is clearly so fascinating to me. I could talk to you for hours, but I'm going to finish with one question here. Okay. What do you think the biggest challenges are right now to inviting and creating this more tender world that really respects our humanity?
1: Okay, I think... Uh, I would say, I'll talk about just two um, challenges for this, I think the first one is to develop a systemic understanding about how we are affected by the environment, so sometimes people tend to think in a very punctual way, so as you said, I'm thinking about the lobby and I want you to be able to read at the lobby, so I will add this light. But this is not a systemic understanding. I'm not thinking that maybe because of this, when you leave the lobby uh, and when you go to somewhere else, you're still going to be affected by it. And, or maybe you're doing other activities in your lobby and you need a a different kind of lighting to support you when you're doing something different from reading. So I think uh, developing a systemic understanding and considering that we have primitive needs uh, that the environment have has to help to fulfill. So we have mm-hmm. specific the same way we need air and we need food and water. There are things from the environment that we need, and maybe we are not getting enough. We are not getting enough natural light. We are not getting enough um, silence. We are not getting enough nature. We are not getting enough opportunities to move our bodies. So there are so many needs that the environment uh, needs to help us uh, to fulfill. Uh,
0: And safety, safety too, that refuge, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the open concept office, not giving us a lot of what we need in most cases, like not for moments, but I think there's one other point in, in your literature. You talk about the more we are in a space, the more careful we have to be because it has greater impact on us. If we're, it's a transitionary space. It might not need to fulfill so many needs, but anything we're spending a long time in, it really has greater weight and we have to make sure those, um, those elements are embedded there.
1: Perfect. And this goes to uh, uh, straight with my second point. Uh, now we are changing the way we use and occupy spaces. So before it, we used to have a, have a little bit more of, of a balance because we would spend like a few hours at home, then commuting to to work and then at work. But now, even after the pandemic, many companies plan to adopt a hybrid uh, work style. Uh, So people are spending more and more time in the same space. And if this space is not uh, rich of many of the things that we need from it, we will have necessities that will not be fulfilled. So we need to pay attention. This is a huge challenge. So if I'm just working from home and maybe I don't have a lot of natural light entering, even though I have windows, because there are too many buildings surrounding my one and too many shadows, this is something, how am I going to fulfill the need of natural light? What other spaces in my city or my workplace, how can they help me to fulfill this? If I live in a very tiny home and I don't have privacy here because I live with my family how can I find privacy in my city or my workplace? Or the opposite, if I live alone and I don't have anyone to talk to and to hug when I'm here, how can I find opportunities to socialize? How can the city and my workplace and uh, retail spaces, uh, educational spaces help us to fulfill such needs? Especially now that we are using the spaces in such an unbalanced way and spend this a long time in
0: the same environment. Yeah, no, it just made me think of shopping. When you, you know, if if we think of shop retail environments, that's one place they got rest, right? They have a chair for the husband to sit while the wife is trying on clothes. Like That is, that is one of the only places, I think, where they put seating to, to perpetuate the shopping experience. Right? Yes,
1: yes. And it's a great yeah. initiative. Uh, and yeah. retail spaces, they are even more important, as well as uh, workspaces. They are even more important in this context that people are barely mm-hmm. leaving their homes because when mm. i go to the supermarket or the grocery store or uh to my office even though i'm going just mm-hmm. once a week uh these yeah. moment will, those moments will be very very important
0: yeah so i think of what amazon's doing with their you know Peopleless spaces. You get everything; it's scanned, and you don't have a social context. I'm like, oh, no, that's what I live for. I go down to my grocery store because I want to talk to somebody. Uh-huh. <laughs> Never mind the self-checkout. I want the a few minutes of and actually seeing the same people. You feel like you belong somewhere then. That's- so I worry about this metaverse. I'm a little averse to the metaverse. I'm talking to my friend at Facebook <laughs> shortly, so he's going to try and change my mind. Uh-huh. So I'm curious. I'm curious to see what's going to happen there. But Andrea, this conversation I think is so, it's so rich, full of ideas, both for leaders who are listening, space designers who might be thinking, oh my gosh, what do I need to pay attention to? You heard it here, Andrea says, take care of the most sensitive, have diversity, think of taking care of the human animal, think systemically. Um, We're gonna be occupying space differently. And so there's so much opportunity as creators to be influencing that space. And then to my highly sensitive friends and listeners, think about what you might need in a space and ask for it. And uh, maybe even refer to this conversation. Have your leader listen to this podcast to hear how practical and from a performance perspective these these changes and influences into the way we manage our space and create it and culture are so powerful. It's going to drive up engagement, lower stress, boost performance we're really crazy to ignore it. So I hope this is, a, this is a tool, this interview with Andrea and I will be useful to you in, in helping to create that more tender world. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for being with us, Andrea. Thank you. It
1: was a lovely discussion of a very important topic. So thank you, Claire.
0: Thank you so much for listening. You can find all of the Happy Space Podcast episodes over at happyspacepod.com. That is also where you'll find a link to our online community. Please leave a review over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. And if you liked what you heard, please share. After all, doesn't everyone deserve a happy space?